Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Your brother will rise again. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. <laughs> See how he loved him. But others said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. 
Take away the stone. But Lord, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for days. Didn't I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, and I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. That was the reading of God's word. Well done. So this is the first Sunday of the season of Advent, and as you heard Pastor Paul pray, um, it is a time a season for God's church, his assembled people uh, all over the earth to remember and kind of dwell on his first coming, which is what we celebrate in Christmas, his birth, but also his second coming that we anticipate and look forward to because then that will be the end of all things and the beginning of the uh, kingdom of God to be established on earth once and for all. So we look forward to that day. And so there's these themes that we focus on in these weeks prior to Christmas, and that is hope and love and joy and peace. And today is the focus on hope, the hope we have in Jesus, who has come to save the world and came and is now the Savior of the world. So I wanted to read a couple scriptures, one from the Old Testament, one from the New, that focus on this theme of hope that runs through the whole story of God from beginning to end. Psalm 42.5 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And then from Romans 15.13, we are encouraged as followers of Jesus. It says there, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. And so the practice is we light a candle every week to remember these themes, these truths that we know in our Lord God and in Jesus Christ specifically. So we light the candle of hope today because as you see behind me Jesus is our hope and so that's going to be the focus of the message today uh, coming from the text we just read uh, dramatically uh, with our team and this, this whole idea of hope is so important to us Because life without hope is really not life at all. It's like uh, this story of one, this guy who often went to Maine, the state of Maine. I'm just curious, how many of us 
been to the state of Maine. Ah, I'm impressed. Yeah, it's not a state that you often hear about in the news or anything, but it is uh, kind of scenic, right? And there's good lobster up there if you've never been up to, to Maine. Well, this guy would, had gone to Maine many times for his work, and so he was telling his friends some interesting things about Maine that they didn't know, and especially this one little town flagstaff that he had to frequent often because this town flagstaff was part of this plan in Maine to be flooded as to become a part of this big lake that would be a reservoir because they were building a dam at this time um, when this guy was telling his story. And so here's a picture of Flagstaff. And in the months, what was interesting, this guy said, is in the months before, the whole area was to be flooded. So this whole village of Flagstaff was going to be wiped out. So all the people that lived there knew this. So months before this happened, they stopped doing anything for the town. Like, why would you paint your house if you know it's going to be on the water in like four months, right? Or why would you fix anything if you knew it was going to be wiped out eventually? So everything in the town started to be tattered and dilapidated, and, and it was just really odd for the people who were there still to see things just go down and down and down. So the whole town became more gone to seed, we say. It's just like the weeds grew up, the lawns weren't mowed, nothing was being done. And then this man added by way of explanation. Listen to what he said. He says, where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. And hope, without it, we live tattered lives like this town and Flagstaff. But with it, we approach life with passion and with excitement for what lies ahead because of the hope we have. It's like this man who approached this little league game that was going on, and, uh, and he asked this little kid on the, in the dugout, like, what, what was the score? How's it going? And the kid says, oh, it's 18 to nothing, and we're behind. And the guy says, wow, you must be really discouraged. And the kid says, why would I be discouraged? We haven't even got up the bat yet. You know, <laughs> this kid had hope still because, and it gave him the passion to look toward what was ahead, even though it looked pretty bleak at that moment. Having hope gives us a reason to continue, no matter what the situation is. And the story we heard dramatically read is full of hope. Did you catch that throughout this story? I mean, the, the Apostle John, who wrote this book, the Gospel of John, and recorded this story, was an eyewitness to this story. He was one of Jesus' disciples that traveled with Jesus. And he wrote and wanted to record these events to prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one that the Jews were waiting for, the promised anointed one that the Old Testament scriptures talked about, the Son of God. And he recorded these events and teachings because he wanted those who would read them to have hope and believe in Jesus. We see this in John 20, 31, which he writes there, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And the story of Lazarus rising from the dead at the command of Jesus is one of the best evidences we have of the divinity of Jesus. Because if we believe that Jesus is divine and he is the one who gives life, then here is an example of that life being given to someone who is dead. And therefore, we can put our hope in him. 
in Jesus Christ. Now, the question that today's text will answer in our look at um, this text will answer then this question that if life is full of struggle and pain at times, then how can we continue on with hope? If, it, if life just seems like it's, there's no end to my problems that come, whether it's caused by me or caused by other people or other situations, how can we continue? And the story of Lazarus, Lazarus presents these uh, four truths that I'll point out of, that deal with Christ as our hope. And the first of each of these truths will spell the word hope. So help us remember. All right, so the first truth we observe is that Jesus hears us. He hears us. And he, he hears our prayers. He hears our needs. He hears our, about our failures, our frustrations, our anxieties. And we have hope because Jesus hears our requests. So the H here just simply stands for he hears us. Um, the story begins with Lazarus being sick and the information that this is happening in Bethany, a village of Mary and the sister Martha of Lazarus. And for John to describe this town, Bethany, as a, a village of Mary and Martha, this meant that they were very well known in that area because he's writing it this way, using them as the label for this town, Bethany. And they send word to Jesus with the message, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, Jesus listened to the message and heard the need of Lazarus. And notice that they did not ask Jesus to come, right? They just said, Lord, the one you love is sick, period. They didn't say, come as quick as you can. No, because they understood and expected Jesus to respond that way, right? Because of the relationship they had. But Jesus heard their need and planned to respond, but just not in the way that they expected him to respond. Jesus had become good friends with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and his many visits to Bethany over the years of his ministry. And as verse 5 says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus received their message. He heard it. He listened to it. And the same applies to us. When we pray to the Lord, when we talk to him about whatever need we have, whatever's on our heart and mind, we can have hope that he is listening. He hears us. He knows us. He knows our intimate thoughts. And knowing this gives us hope in Christ. We can talk to the Lord Jesus, and he actually knows what we're going to say before we say it. Psalm 10, 17 speaks to this truth. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their cry. We have hope knowing that when we talk to the Lord, he hears you and me. He knows what your heart issue is, and he knows your intimate thoughts. He hears our prayers. So that leads us to the second truth, because usually we go to him with our needs. And so the second truth is that Jesus uses our needs as opportunities to reveal himself to us. And so O here stands for our need is the opportunity for Jesus to reveal himself. And after hearing the message from Mary and Martha reporting that Lazarus is sick, Jesus said what to his disciples? 
once he learned this, and this was all in front of his disciples, we heard Jesus say, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. God planned to use Lazarus' death to reveal himself in a glorious way. And this, so we could ask, wait, does God cause pain and suffering so that he can just reveal himself to us? No, he doesn't do that. No, he loves us, and he wants you and me to know that love intimately and personally when he reveals himself to us through our pain and suffering. I mean, he knows we will suffer and we will experience pain in this life because because of the rebellion started back with Adam and Eve, sin and death and suffering has entered into this reality. And until he sets that right, and that's what we anticipate in his second coming, the second advent. But until then, God knows you and I are going to experience all kinds of suffering and pain in life. Maybe not every day, hopefully, but we will. And so he can use those needs of ours as an opportunity to reveal himself and his power and his glory to us. Let me illustrate this. Many years ago, a fishing fleet went out from a small harbor in, on the east coast, north of here in Newfoundland. It's up in Canada. And in the afternoon, there came this great storm. So this is a fishing village. All their fishing boats are out doing their work. Big storm came up that day. And so when night settled in, none of the vessels had returned to the port. And so naturally, the, the wives and the mothers and the girlfriends and the children were all out near the beach of the port and just looking to see if they could see any of their loved ones' fishing vessels in sight to return because this storm was going on. But they didn't see. They were waiting and praying to God to bring their loved ones back. And to add to the horror of the whole situation, one of the cottages caught fire somehow. And because there was no men around, it just burned to the ground. The, 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 the people there that were left could not put out the fire. And then when morning and light came, to their joy, all the fishing vessels were either there or coming into port. And so everyone was rejoicing except for one face, the face of the woman who lived in the house that burned down. And when she greeted her husband, she just said, oh, we're ruined. Our house is destroyed. And he said, no way. I thank God that our house was burnt down because it was the fire of our cottage that was able to, we were to focus on and be able to come home to the port to know which way to go. Whatever the situation may be in our lives, Jesus uses it as an opportunity to reveal his power and his glory beyond what we expect. You know, during my own storm of life, when my father died suddenly as a young man at 20 years old, God used that situation to reveal himself in a way uh, that was so special then, unlike any other time in my life, and for me and my family, because my family and I experienced such a deep peace even though we were grieving greatly, it's hard to put in the words, but to know and experience that intimacy with the Lord God in such a time of loss, it was very special. I wouldn't want to go through it again, <laughs> but I wouldn't mind having that experience of that intimacy with the Lord again. You know, whatever the situation, 
Jesus will reveal himself through our difficulties if we look to him with hope. If we're not looking to him, then it's not going to happen. And Martha and Mary looked to Jesus for help in their time of need. They got that right, right? They wrote to Jesus right away, the one you love is sick. And they had that expectation. And now we can have hope in Jesus because we know he hears us and we know he uses our need as an opportunity to reveal himself to us in a very special way. And so the third truth we see here is that Jesus responds to our need, but in his perfect timing. And that's the P. Perfect timing. Not our timing, his timing. And so even though Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary, and he heard that their, uh, Lazarus was sick, what did he do? He waited two more days. He didn't, he didn't drop everything and say, oh, Lazarus, my buddy, he's sick. I'm going to go and bring him back. You know, I'm going to heal him. No, he, he waited. He delayed. If you were Mary and Martha, what would you think? What would you think if, like, he called me up and said, Pastor Jeff, you know, I'm in jail. I need to be bailed out. And I'll be like, okay, yeah. I'll be there in about two days. He's <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you left me out to dry. <laughs> you, know, you know, that's what Mary and Martha were thinking, right? We would have expected, because of the close relationship that we had with Jesus, thinking we're Mary and Martha, that he would respond quickly and come immediately. That's, that's what we would think. That's just normal, right? But God responds in his perfect timing, not in our timing. And so Martha and Mary wondered why Jesus had not come sooner because each one of them, if you noticed, when the first words that came out of their mouth, both ladies, they said the same thing. And this is what they said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So you can see what's on their mind, right? (laughs) What took you so long? You know, we hoped that he wouldn't die, and now he's dead. And basically, it's your fault. You weren't here. He's dead. You know, you should have come earlier. But yet there was hope, we hear. Now, see, nobody understood Jesus' timing. And this, even his disciples didn't understand. They reminded Jesus of this danger he faced if he went back to Judea because he had already been almost stoned for claiming to be God earlier. But he, he, you know, he escaped as he always did in the sense, except for when he wanted or offered himself up for crucifixion. But what was Jesus' response when he said this in response to his disciples' concern? It's this cryptic light thing, right? Listen to what he said there again. He said, and are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. You can imagine the disciples going, okay, (laughs) what does that mean, you know? (laughs) But basically what Jesus is saying is, in other words, now is the right time, because you got me. (laughs) You know, in a sense, he's just basically, trust me, now is the right time, and we're not going to go later. So Jesus had raised, you see, up to this point, two other people from the dead in his ministry, the first one was in Luke 7. We see that he, he raised this widow's son uh, at a time when his disciples were entering this town called Nain, and there was this funeral procession that were coming out of the town with this w- widow. She's a widow, and her only son had died, so she was alone. And they're coming out of the town, and then Jesus, at that point, I'll let you read it, Luke 7, raises that, that son to life. And it's just amazing, right? And then uh, at 
and then in Luke 8, Jesus again raised uh, another daughter, a little girl, Jairus' daughter, soon after she had died. Okay, so there's these two other accounts of Jesus raising people from the dead. You see, in that day and age, they, had to, they buried people in their custom very quickly, like within 24 hours, because it was a hot climate, and so they didn't have any embalming of the bodies that, after people died, so the bodies would decay very quickly. And so they wanted to bury them quickly, within 24 hours. And so, so why did Jesus wait so long then to go to Lazarus? Because he not only died, he was buried. And he was dead for four days and buried for at least three days. You know, it's interesting to think this through because as far as we know, Jesus had no close contact with the widow whose son died. He didn't know them beforehand or Jairus' daughter at all, no. But with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he knew them very well and they knew him. And so Jesus Thinking of this, it was an opportunity for him to reveal himself in a way more powerfully and glorious than any other time. Not only because he raised someone for four days from being dead and he walked out of the tomb with his tomb. Yeah, that would, that must, I mean, that would make a great movie, right? But it's because of his intimacy already with these people that knew him and now he is revealing himself in a way that would be so important and powerful, not only to them, but everybody that heard about it and saw it, but especially to Mary and Martha. So by the time Jesus arrived, it had been four days. And this resurrection of Lazarus was a miracle beyond anything Jesus had done up to that point. See, God responds at the perfect timing so that his glory would be known. Remember that, because we have a lot of expectations on how God's supposed to respond to us. But his timing is perfect. Believing that God responds at the perfect time gives us hope. And we can live knowing that no matter what happens, God's going to respond to us. He will, in some way, on his time, and that's the best time. So we can have hope in Jesus because he hears us, he uses our needs as an opportunity to reveal himself, and his response to our needs is perfect. Perfect timing. So the fourth truth is that Jesus himself is eternal life. He himself is life. So when Jesus got to Bethany and Martha spoke to him, her words carried this fragrance of hope, if you caught that, right? She used this first statement that, hey, you were late, you know, if you didn't come, right? Listen to what she said there. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then the hope statement. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. The fragrance of hope in Christ. Jesus then said that her brother would rise again, but then, you know, Martha was like, yeah, I know, he's going to rise again at the last day, at the end of of all things. But Jesus then, he says, is one of his most important claims in all of his ministry right here, this statement. And I'll read it again. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said she did. If anybody said this today, we would be like, what? You're a lunatic. This is crazy for to make that kind of claim. But Martha said she believed him. And Jesus claimed that whoever lives and believes in him will never die. And she said she believes him. 
So when Jesus said the first statement, he who believes in me will live even though he dies, he was referring to Lazarus because Lazarus believed in him. He knew Jesus. He knew Jesus, what he had done and his miracles and his message, and he had died. So Jesus saying, but even though he died, he's going to live. And then you see, Jesus is the divine power to overcome death. And we see this by the raising of Lazarus from the dead. That's the proof. That's why I said this is the evidence that he is divine. He is the giver of life. And that miracle of Lazarus coming back to dead is proof of that. I mean, the ultimate is Jesus' own resurrection from the dead, the conqueror of death once and for all. We see that. And this gives me tremendous hope to know that I will live for eternity if I live and I believe in Jesus because I will never die. This body will die, we know from the scriptures, but Jeff will never die. I'm created in the image of God and I follow Jesus. And the truth is, I will live forever with him. You know, where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. The school system, this, this, I love this story of this school system in a large city in our country had this program to help children who, for whatever reason, went into the hospital. Uh, it must have been really busy during the pandemic, right? And the children would go into the hospital and they'd be there for days or weeks or whatever. And they didn't want their children in the school systems to fall behind. So they had these teachers that volunteered to go to these students with the, the uh, guidance of their own teachers of what they need to learn. So they would go and do the, like, the studies there in the hospitals. So this one teacher got this call about this one student that was in the hospital, got his name and his room number, and she talked to the teacher, and the teacher said, I want you to work with him. We're studying nouns and adverbs in his class now. So I'd be really grateful if you could help him understand these so he doesn't fall too far behind. And so the teacher, that's her job. So she said, yeah, I'll do that. But she wasn't prepared for what she saw because this boy was badly burned, disfigured-like. And so she was really disturbed when she walked into the room because nobody had prepared her for it. And so she stammered. She, she said, well, I've, I've been sent by your school to help you learn adverbs and nouns. And so she did her best to do that, that one, the first day. And then she left feeling like she, didn't, she probably wasn't of much use. And then the next day when she was coming back, she was passing the nurse's station, and the nurse came to her and said, what did you do to that boy yesterday? And she, she felt apologetic because she felt she did something wrong. So, and the nurse said, no, 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 I don't mean that. You're, getting, you're taking me wrong. Whatever you did, it's like he's responding to treatment now. He's, he has, like, he's just, just decided he's going to live or before he, he didn't want to. And so she was like, really? So she went in and, and the story came out after a couple weeks. The, the little boy explained it to her that everything changed after that day when she first visited. Because, and he put it this way, why would they send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy? So I realized, I must not gonna be, I'm not going to die because <laughs> why would they waste their time sending me a teacher <laughs> to teach me nouns and adverbs? See, once this boy saw he had a future, he had hope and strength to face his current present situation. You know, it is the same with us. If we live with hope for the future we have with Christ, 
and the eternal life that he is, then we live today with excitement and passion. But if all we're focusing on is this here and now, and our hope is in getting a job or getting a promotion or whatever, I mean, it's okay to hope for those things, but if our real hope in life is in those things, we're going to be disappointed and we're going to have a life full of, like, flagstaff falling apart. Uh, it, there's another story, a, a story of self-made millionaire um, Eugene Lang, this old millionaire, and he greatly changed the lives of these sixth graders in Harlem, East Harlem, New York. And Mr. Lang was asked to speak to this class as a successful businessman, but it's the sixth grader, so he was like, he prepared a little speech, but he was like, you know, most of these kids, who were mostly black and Puerto Rican kids at that point, um, he said, you know, most of them are going to drop out of school. So he, said, he looked at his speech before he got up in front of them, and he said, this is all worthless. <laughs> I'm going to just speak to him from my heart. And so he, he tossed his notes aside, and he just had this simple message. Stay in school. If you stay in school, I will pay for your college tuition. And immediately, the, the kids put, they were just overjoyed. And, and one student put it this way, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. And nearly 90% of that class graduated from high school. And then more went on to college. You see, how to have hope in the midst of a life full of struggle and disappointment and pain is to have hope in someone who is our hope, Jesus. Jesus is our hope because we know from what he has taught us, from his resurrection from the dead, from what he has done while he was here on earth, that he hears us, he uses our needs as opportunities to reveal himself, that he has responded in the perfect time and he will continue to do so, and best of all, he himself is our life on earth now and our hope of life in the future. Let's pray together. Father, we are overwhelmed when we think of the extent of what you have done for us. We didn't deserve it. We actually deserve hell. We deserve punishment. And yet, because of your love for us, you sent Jesus our rescuer, our deliverer. And so, Lord, we worship you, we worship Jesus, and we, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would become more and more the image of our life in what we say and what we do and who we talk about with others. Not obnoxiously, but with hope and excitement, pointing others to you so they can place their hope in you as well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.